What's up friends, it's E, and welcome to a new episode of Midweek Rise Up. I pray that you're seeing God move and work in your life as you give gratitude and praise for the day that you're in. In this episode, we're going to address a word that I believe has taken over society. So let's each of us prepare our heart, clear our mind, take a deep breath, and let's unpack the word this week together as we jump into the good news. The word for this week is unbelief. I have been hearing more and more the word revival being thrown around in Christian circles than I think I ever have. And so this week I wanted to read some sermon points from one of the most influential American Presbyterian ministers and leaders in the Second Great Awakening in the United States. He has also been called the father of modern revivalism. His name is Charles Grandison Finney. And I'll do an episode on revival in the future, but for this week, I wanted to speak on the word of unbelief because I feel that unbelief is blind and carries within itself a form of infidelity, of disbelief, and of divine revelation. And today, I have to be honest with you, now more than ever, I feel like our faith is being challenged in a way that it really has not been before in a very, very long time. And it's not the faith with words that's being challenged, like can you regurgitate Bible verses, It's faith with action. It's faith that proves why we are not hypocrites. And it's boldly standing up for the truth and proclaiming the gospel and being unashamed to do so. And here's what I mean. It's the individuals that say, I believe, yet their confidence in God reflects otherwise. And it's the individuals that say, I believe, yet the appetites of their anxieties are fed with fear instead of completely surrendering to God. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, it says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And another verse that might come to mind when you hear the word unbelief in scripture, it's found in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And in the New Testament, if you're looking for other places in the gospel of disbelief, I highly recommend that you read Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 16, Hebrews chapter 3, and Romans chapter 4. But going back to Mark chapter 16, verse 16, only a true Christian can be saved through Christ. And even though Simon professed to believe and was even baptized, he was still attached to his sinful life. And if you want to see the history on that, hop to Acts chapter 8, verses 13 through 25. But true faith receives Christ for all purposes of salvation and produces a complete transformation of the heart and life. It's not just an agreement of, yes, I believe in God, or yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and then you go on living out your dead faith. What I love about the gospel, aside from the declarations of truth, encouragement, and its teachings on principles, is that it also comes with warnings that us as Christians should observe as well. And these warnings are to protect us. They're not to hurt us. So furthering this, since Charles Finney is no longer here on earth, obviously, I'm going to set this up as if it was an interview with his lecture responses from his sermon on unbelief. And the five points that will be touched on, what is the definition of unbelief, how it manifests itself, why it's unreasonable to have unbelief, and what causes it, and why it's dangerous. So first, what is unbelief? Charles Finney writes, it is the absence, or perhaps I should say the opposite of faith. Now defining faith first. Faith is a felt, conscience, practical confidence in the character, providence, and word of God. It's a mindful assurance that what God has said shall come to pass, such an inward and felt assurance and hearty and joyful embracing of the truth as to produce corresponding feeling and action and to exclude doubt. So the definition of unbelief then is a real withholding of this inward, felt, mindful assurance or confidence 
which is a state of mind that leaves the individual completely uninfluenced by the truths of God. And this type of withholding of confidence leaves both the body and the soul under the influence of air to pursue a course as if the truths of God were not true. Second, how does unbelief manifest? He responds, worldly mindedness. It is impossible that a human being should give himself up to the pursuit of worldly goods upon any other principle than that of unbelief. Let him but possess that inward, felt assurance that the infinitely great truths of religion are realities, and the world will at once dwindle to insignificance in his estimation. It will appear to be a very small thing whether he does or does not possess the wealth, the honors, and the friendship or wisdom of this world, and to spend his time and give up his thoughts to accumulating anything that this world can give or take away is entirely unnatural to a mind that believes in eternal realities. Neglect of the Bible is another development of unbelief. Apathy in regard to spreading the gospel proves that you do not believe it. What is the Bible? What are its claims? What does it profess to reveal to mankind? Well. It claims to be a revelation from God to men, a history of their past lives, and a revelation of their future destiny. And in every point of view, it is infinitely the most interesting book that has ever existed. And yet almost all individuals, even Christians, are in a great measure unfamiliar with its truths and care very little about them. If individuals believe the Bible, they would search after its meaning as they would search for hidden treasures. They would not and could not rest satisfied until they possessed themselves every practical truth contained in it. Unbelief often manifests itself in the interpretation of the Bible, and this can be very dangerous. It is remarkable to see to what an extent unbelief is the grand rule of biblical interpretation in the church. Take, for example, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. It says, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And what's interesting is that Apostle Paul saw in these promises such a fullness of meaning, and from them he inferred that even if there were no other kindred promises in the Bible, the practicability of attaining a state of entire sanctification or holiness in this life is marked in the strength of his language in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, where he says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And how easy it is to see that his faith apprehended an infinitely greater fullness in the meaning of these promises than is seen by the heart of unbelief. Another manifestation of unbelief that Finney writes about is stumbling at difficulties. And he says there is a large class of minds that seem not to be under the influence of evidence, especially upon those subjects that in any way clash with their own interests. If an answer to their difficulty be suggested to them, they don't even want to hear it. It doesn't matter if it's the next hour, the next day, you will find them still hanging up in their doubts upon their old and perhaps often answered objections and going stubbornly on in their sins. This is a most guilty state of mind. It doesn't matter neither the life, nor the doctrine, nor the miracles, nor the death, not even the resurrection of Christ could convince them. And certain preconceived notions of what Christ would be were sufficient objections in their mind to break the power of all the evidence with which Christ brought forth and demonstrated with his messiahship. And it's also often amazing and distressing to see how unbelief will paralyze 
the power of testimony in favor of truth, insomuch that no weight or accumulation of evidence can gain dominance over the intellect and the heart in the presence of some of the most ridiculous objections. Another development of unbelief is confiding more in mankind than in God. And how common it is for even professed Christians to have more confidence in the prayers of man than in the intercession of Christ. Some Christians place more reliance on the word of mankind than on the word of God. And even so much the point where they're influenced by the opinions of these individuals than by the testimony and even the oath of God. And if you ask them if they had more confidence in mankind than in God, of course they would say no. But as a matter of fact, they do, whether they are aware of it or not. And the way they live their life proves that, that their faith is not in God, but in man. And if you want to see a great illustration of this, witness the anxieties of God's professed children. Another point under this category is the absence of a joyful surrender in the whole will of God, as expressed either in his works or providence or word, is also a development of unbelief. If a man has entire confidence in God in all things, he will have a supreme complacency in the will of God. Charles Finney writes, He will not merely submit without rebellion, but will be joyfully surrendered in all the works and ways and will of God. Whatever the weather is, whatever the seasons are, whatever God does or permits to be done, should be most sweetly accepted by a soul in the exercise of faith. Maintaining a false hope is another development of unbelief. And the thing about false hope is that it's amplified when individuals refuse to believe that in Christ they are complete and that in him all fullness dwells. Every demand of their nature, everything that they need for time and eternity is made secure by the promise and oath of God. Another development of unbelief is a want of inward assurance and felt confidence that God's promises will be fulfilled. For example, when Christians plead the promises of God without this inward felt unwavering assurance of mind, where the promise is plain and the application just, is an instance of unbelief. An example of this is when Paul prayed against the thorn in the flesh. He had no express promise that that thorn should be removed, and he was not bound to believe that it would be. Another example is when Christ had no express promise that his agony in the garden would be removed. And what's interesting is that in neither of these cases did perfect faith in God imply the belief that the particular thing that they requested would be granted. And that's a big pill to swallow. And a final point with the development of unbelief is not realizing that Christ died for you specifically for you. And it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, that Jesus, by the grace of God, tasted the death for everyone. So what makes you question that? If you believe that he died for all man, and he tasted death for everyone, but you cannot make it seem as if he also died for you, that is unbelief. So you deflect your obligation and hide away from realizing that your sins nailed him to the cross and that your soul is guilty of his death and that his love has rolled a mountain weight of responsibility upon you. So moving on to the next topic, what is the unreasonableness of unbelief? Well, there's a few points. First is testimony. It is unreasonable because confidence and testimony is natural to man. It is one of the easiest and most natural exercises of the human mind to confide in testimony. Finney continues saying, creation and providence confirm the truths of the Bible. The heavens above, the earth beneath, everything within and without us goes to confirm the proposition that it is the perfection of reason to place the most unlimited confidence in God. And a second reason why unbelief is unreasonable is atonement. I mean, did you ever consider the amount and force of evidence contained in the atonement that God really loves you? He loves you so much that he gave his one and only begotten and well-beloved son to die for your sins so that whoever believes in him, 
Whoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. What higher evidence could you ask, expect, or conceive that another loved you enough to give up their own son to die to preserve your life? God's promises are always fulfilled. So forth, what are the causes of unbelief? Charles Finney writes, selfishness prevents attention to the evidence of God's character. Individuals are so taken up with seeking their own private interests as to have very little time for consideration in regard to the real character of God. The fact that mankind seeks and thinks that they will find their happiness in getting all they can blinds their minds in regard to the fact that God's character is directly the reverse of this. That benevolence is his character. That doing instead of getting good and that giving instead of receiving good constitute his happiness. Because people cry out, give, 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 but they're never satisfied. But God, on the other hand, finds his happiness in giving and in pouring out blessings from his infinite fullness upon all that can be persuaded to receive them. Prejudice is often a fruitful source of unbelief as well. To prejudge or make up your mind on any question before you know all the facts is to go against knowledge and belief of the truth. And this committed pride is another fruitful occasion of unbelief. When someone has committed themselves in favor of an error or against any truth, they will usually reject it in unbelief as well as reject any light that might correct their darkness. Because bondage to the flesh and selfish will preclude the true exercise of faith and a desire of wanting a clear and concise idea of what faith really is, is also another fruitful source of unbelief. Because many think that they already believe because they admit the truths of the gospel and have no consciousness of positive disbelief. But they overlook the fact that faith is the mind's deeply felt and joyful assurance of the truth of God. Because some people feel that this mindful assurance is so rarely attained in religion to have that felt and clear connection that God's promises would be fulfilled to them. So instead, they take up with something short and rest in a state of mind that is more comprehensible to them. And the fifth and final point is why is unbelief dangerous? Why is it dangerous emotionally and spiritually? And Charles Finney says that it is the most harmful sin against God that can be committed because it implies and includes a flat denial of the integrity of his character. It denies his attributes and it also charges him with hypocrisy. And something that's really interesting is that to ourselves, unbelief views that in all heart obedience is impossible. Because how can we obey God from the heart when we have no confidence in him? Perfect case in point is Adam and Eve when the serpent suggested to Eve that God was not sincere in his warning. Because unbelief tramples the son of God underfoot and counts the blood of the covenant an unholy thing. And unbelief says, I have no confidence in the necessity or nature or reality of the atonement. And as for Jesus Christ, I do not believe that his blood cleansed me from all sin. I do not feel in my heart that he is my wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. But think of it this way. God has done everything possible to secure and even compel the exercise of confidence in him. I mean, can you imagine God saying, what more could I have done that I have not done to secure your confidence? I have laid down my life to do you good. I gave my only son. How is it that you don't believe? And some might think it's impossible that unbelief should even have a place in this world after all of the manifestations of God's love and have been fulfilled and continue to be fulfilled. But Charles Finley says, but oh, what shall we say when we find not only the heathen world, but the Christian world and even the Christian church withholding confidence in God and manifesting the most shocking unbelief in the regard to his providence and his word. 
but the Christian world and even the Christian church withholding confidence in God and manifesting the most shocking unbelief in regard to his providence and his word. What more can God do to secure public and individual confidence? I mean, what higher evidence can he give? Or in his own empathetic language, what more can I do for my vineyard that I have not done? A mind under the influence of unbelief is a very dangerous interpreter of the word of God. Because without faith, no individual discovers the true meaning of the Bible. Neither can they by any possibility discover its spiritual meaning and depth without the state of mind, which is always implied in a right understanding of the word of God. Because faith sees the doctrine of entire sanctification abundantly revealed in the word of God. And truly, no individual could rightly understand or believe the Bible who is living in indulgence of any known sin. There are individuals who seem to be trying to maintain a state of spirituality, whole in some things and perhaps in many other things, but they are not entirely upright in their lives. They do not walk according to the best light that they have, and yet at the same time trying to exercise faith and keep up the spiritual connection with God, which is impossible because spiritual mindedness and disobedience are direct opposites. So in closing, after hearing the words from Charles Finney's lecture on unbelief, it really struck me that you are exercising unbelief if you find it hard to love. Love is a natural and certain result of living faith. And you're also exercising unbelief if you find it hard to repent because you are exercising unbelief if you do not have a spirit of thanksgiving and praise. Because there are many believers out there who rarely exercise a spirit of thanksgiving and praise. I honestly don't know if it's possible to be able to say that you believe and have a deep sense of infinite love and truth and grace of God, but yet you have no heart to praise him. And finally, you are exercising unbelief when you do not pray. Because an individual who has a deep sense of the world around them and of the church, as well as the willingness and ability of God to bless others, is going to pray and will not restrain from it because that person's every breath would be attached to prayer, devotion, and praise. I pray that if you're struggling with unbelief, that you take some time to reflect on where you've placed your confidence. Have you placed it with the world? Have you placed it with the opinions of other people? Or have you placed it in God who literally says, what else can I do to prove to you my existence? Because you are bought by the blood. And when Christ returns and says, well, I find faith on the earth, I pray that his eyes go directly to you and that you're standing out amongst the crowds of the so-called Christians and the non-Christians that find their belief in the unbelief and find their belonging in an unbelieving world. You are loved, my friend. Go rise up. Thanks for joining us today. I hope that these words encouraged and challenged you and postured your heart for the rest of the week ahead. If you have a minute, go to the subscribe and review section of this podcast. Leave us a word or a Bible verse that you've been carrying in your heart throughout the week that keeps you encouraged and motivated because I really just want to make this podcast review space almost like an added bookmark for that simple reminder that we're all in this together and that God's got this. Feel free to share this episode with your friends, family, or on social media. And in the review section, let us know how we can be praying for you. Also, for more information on Proclaim and Lead Ministry, our Bible in 365, as well as the Falkirk Center, please click the links below. We're so grateful to have you join us right here every Wednesday on Midweek Rise Up.